Todo el mundo. But that was really. 
That is such a tough one to answer. Um, there were so many fun characters to bring to life for this. I think my two favorites were probably uh, California Screaming, um, which was Rene Millette. Uh, he was an aging uh, musician that that wasn't getting as as big of audience as he used to anymore as the lead as the lead uh, character in that. And it was just it was really fun to play someone who was just on the edge of burning out. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there were he have people coming up to him. Oh, yeah. I remember when you used to be famous or weren't you somebody? Yeah. You know, it's my dad cool. loved you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the other which I got to do was uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Body Bag, which you yourself wrote. I did. Um, where it was from the perspective of a young teenage boy. And so I got to do like both major ends of the spectrum as far as vocally and personality wise. It was really fun. Yeah. And you did a really great job. Now, how much um, prep do you do with those? I mean, I know, of course, you have to read the story all the way through before you <laughs> dive in, but what is kind of your process of, of doing something like this? Well, the very first thing I do is read the specific um, dialects or ways of speaking, like they have specific rhythms, if not accents, mm -hmm. and I'll make sure I understand those characters and where they're coming from. And then, so that just kind of gives me a basis of where I'm going with it. And then I just, I try to find who the narrator is. Um, and that's that's really at the heart of it. it it's got to be fun, but also challenging at times. Now, I know that you when you record a story as one of the authors that has worked with you, that you always you know share the story and then we can kind of tweak it as we go along. Um, is that something that you enjoy doing in terms of like collaborating with the author or would you kind of rather be left alone with your own uh, process? <laughs> um, I've done both. And I honestly think I prefer collaborating with the author because it gives me an idea of where they're coming from. You know, it's such um, a huge undertaking to pronounce first and last names correctly <laughs> and just make sure that you're pronouncing um, movie titles, song titles that are way before your time. Um, Absolutely. Correctly. Yeah. Um, now, what are some of the other projects that you've worked on that fans of horror can listen to? Well, I've done three other uh, horror anthologies, um, Hell Comes to Hollywood 1 and Hell Comes to Hollywood 2, and then 18 Wheels of Horror. Um, I've also been in a couple of uh, H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society films, The Call of Cthulhu and The Whisper in the Darkness. I don't have any lines in either of those, but I'm there. Oh, um, and God. I'm also on their CD, An Even Scarier Solstice, where they take Lovecraftian horror and turn it into Christmas songs. <clears throat> <laughs> that sounds like fun. Or very scary. I'm not sure which. <laughs> that out. I'm going to um, go with both. <laughs> yeah, that's always the best policy be uh, neutral. Um, so where can people find you online to stalk or perhaps even hire you? Well, they can go to jenniferknighton.com, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-K-N-I-G-H-T-O-N.com. They can also find me on ACX or IMDb. All right, sweet. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Um, now let's get to today's guest. Today's guest is a man of many talents, Jay Sosnicki. He's an actor, writer, and producer who lives, where else, in La La Land, 
Uh, I met Jay over 10 years ago through the producers of a horror talk show that I was hosting. And then later on, I became a big fan of his band, The Cox. He's a songwriter, a lyricist, and the lead singer as his alter ego, Ja, a saucy sailor hat wearing, always swearing punk rock god. He's also got a cameo in the sci-fi rock and roll comedy that I directed, The Second Age of Aquarius. Welcome, Jay. Thank you very much for having me. All right. How are you guys doing? I'm doing Feel it all right. Fantastic, <laughs> darling. Fantastic. <laughs> so how did the Cox first form and who are the other guys in the band? Yeah, the Cox. Okay. Uh, the Cox are myself, Ja on vocals, the legend of Bunny Knutson on guitar, Chad Dratz on guitar, Mike uh, McCormick on drums, and Kurt Remington on bass. And... Um, Kind of came together in a in a in a weird way. I don't really think of us as a band as so much as like an accident of nature. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was putting together a short film, and Bunny and I who was an old uh, Bunny who was an old friend, and I came up with some music for it. And we liked the song so much, we were like, "Well, why don't we just start a band and call it the Cox?" And it was literally like that. And we spent um, you know about six months just back and forth making fun songs that we liked that were tuneful and you could tap your feet to. And of course, we're about giving blowjobs and super duper gay punk rock. And uh, when we, we agreed that once we had enough songs, we were just gonna try and put a band together and we did. And that also was just kind of serendipity. Uh, Kurt, our bass player was in my previous two bands. Uh, Chad is somebody uh, who I've known for years. You know, We were fans of each other's bands back in the day and we'd been looking to play together. And he knew Mike who was, uh, you know, been in town for a while and was like a hard hitting, insane drummer. And um, it was really cool because at first I was like, you know, I, I'm the only uh, I'm the only gay person in the band. These are like straight dudes. And I was like, you know, are you are you ready for the mission that's about getting up and singing about singing gay punk rock and singing about blowjobs and stuff? And they were like, hell yeah. So I knew <laughs> I, I knew I had found I knew I what else are we going to do? So, yeah, I knew I had found my tribe and the, the right four guys. And I don't think this thing would work with four any, any other four guys because it's just <laughs> a, like I said, it's a it's a collision of five personalities that normally would probably not be in a band together. And a collision of cocktum. And a collision of cocktum, exactly. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of fun. Uh, now, how did you settle on just the Cox? Because we've got the revolting Cox, we've got the buzz Cox. I mean, you're really- I, I know, there's so, much, there's, there's so much alternative and punk cock out there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, we, we talked about that at first. We we're like, there's gotta be someone else with this name and we were sure there was. But again, at first it was just like a fun thing that we were going to do. And uh, we weren't really thinking about it. You know what I mean? Cause we'd all, we've all been in bands for you know a long time. And like, we were like, why don't we just do a band for once where we're not thinking about career and the future and just get up and have a lot of fun. And then of course, after we started doing it it started turning into career and a lot of fun. But um, <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, there are plenty of bands with those names out there. But we were like, you know, they can they can sue us. <laughs> <laughs> they can sue us. They don't care. Uh, that's very punk rock of you. Now I've seen the Cox perform many many times, um, and you've gotten to play at some really legendary spots like the Whiskey A Go Go and the Viper Room. Um, in fact, at the Viper Room, you opened for the Dickies, which is yeah. apropos. Yeah. <laughs> an apropos. <laughs> I mean, come on, the Dickies yeah. and the Cox. I couldn't wait to take a picture of that on the marquee. <laughs> we all did. Um, so tell me, you know, what does it feel like to play on those sort of hallowed stages and performing alongside the likes of the Dickies because they've been around since the seventies. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff you dream of, right? I mean, you want to play with, you want to play with the people who influence you and that you admire. And, 
you know, playing anywhere is great, but I think that the, the thing we've all taken away from this band is that like, it doesn't matter what stage we play on, whether it's playing in a small club or a larger stage or wherever, the reaction always seems to be about the same thing. The people who, you know, are there who know the band love it. And the people who don't know us, that's the reaction we love because there is almost always like this first minute and a half of just the jaw on the ground. And then by the middle of the set, everybody is singing along. And that was like the big turnaround for us. Cause like the first time we, the, when we first started playing the first show we played was like in a tiny, tiny room. And we expected people to start throwing rocks and garbage at us. We were like, there's no <laughs> way this thing is going to go over. But immediately the people who saw it, like got it, especially straight dudes. You know, we have a, one of our, one of our big hit singles is called I love Dick. And like the, the key moment for me in every show is when we are in the middle of that and the chorus goes, you know, I love Dick. And like, that's usually about, three or four songs in, you see a, a, an audience of, an entire audience of people shouting that, but especially a bunch of straight dudes doing that. <laughs> okay, it is, it is the time for the cocks, you know? And that's that's a cool thing too, because we were not expecting that. We thought we were going to be like this niche little thing with with people kind of being like, Neh. but like it's, I think of us kind of like the monkeys with dick jokes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Speaking of reactions, I've got to ask, um, you have a song on your debut album called, or loads of fun called Jerry Cantrell, yeah. <laughs> which extols the physical endowments of the guitarist of Allison Chains. Yes, the legendary he, endowment of, uh, of, uh, of, this, of this man. Yeah, I mean. I, has he heard it? As I have heard through, uh, through a friend of Mike's who knows him, says yes. Uh, and I guess the I guess oh. the reaction was he listened to it and was like, "What the fuck?" You know. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, what dude is not going to like hearing a song that's been written as a as an homage to your Brobdignagian member? You know what I mean? There, there's no there's no male ego on the planet that is not going to love that. So uh, I hope he took it in the in the spirit that was meant because we're all huge fans of the band and he's obviously a legendary guitar player. And uh, but, you know, super sexy on top of that. That's 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 my piece of it. <laughs> there is no downside to that. <laughs> there exactly. <laughs> well, I for one, I love the pop culture references that you weave into your lyrics. Um, you do mention Donald Fagan in um, sort of a lovely little ditty where the chorus is fuck you. Um, <laughs> now, why Donald? I mean, come on, who doesn't like Steely <laughs> Dan Yacht Rock every once in a while? <laughs> Well, first of all, the song is called, if I can correct you, the song is actually called F8U, which is, mm -hmm. the song is called, because the chorus is, fuck, 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 fuck you. So it's eight times. So <laughs> oh my goodness. We figured rather than write I'm that out, let's just, let's just call it F8U. But uh, okay. honestly, I mean, I've, you know, I have nothing but respect for the accomplishments of Steely Dance. Not my jam, but honestly, the only reason I picked that name was because it rhymed with Reagan, which is earlier in the lyric. Ah, <laughs> I see. <laughs> Wow. And as we, we know, Steely Dan is named after a massive vibrator. Yes, that is like a, that's a, that is a bonus piece of that, which I hope people get. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's another one of those songs that kind of just came together like that. Like there's, there's a lot of serendipity in these tunes because like all of them, all of our songs, which are, you know, I think ridiculously catchy are written in about five minutes. And like, you know, a lot of the time, uh, Chad will just like shoot me a song title and like 10 minutes later, we've got a song. We have a song called Hate Load that literally was written by the entire band in about 15 minutes. I was, I was taking care of mor my morning ablutions. Mm -hmm. He texted me that name. I grabbed my guitar, sent a, a quick dirty demo to everybody. 
Bunny had a proper demo by the afternoon and I had vocals on it by the evening and the next day we were rehearsing it. So like that to me is like, that's like, that's like fundamentally what this band is. You know what I mean? There's a lot of uh, serendipity and magic and, uh, and all of us just colliding in the right way. So, okay. A lot of your songs have a lot of humor to them, but they're not full on parody. Right. Kind of like Spinal Tap. Yeah. Uh, how do you find the balance between that and the fact that all of you are really accomplished and serious musicians and like tie all of that together? Is it just that serendipity? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I think um, that's something that we, we didn't talk about much, but we look back on it. Like the, the, the humor kind of comes out of it because everybody in the band's got a really good sense of humor. And let's face it, if you're going to get up and sing songs like this, you've got to have a sense of humor, you know? And like, <laughs> that's, that's the way to put it over. But um, I would say uh, not, a lot of, not a lot of thought goes into it. I think the fact that everybody in the band is really passionate and that everyone really is a strong musician and that the songs at their core are really good catchy songs that's the thing that rises to the top um i agree like it's not parody like spinal tap it's more in the realm or the uh, in the vein of like the dickies or the ramones or the cramps there's humor there but it's not like uh it is not you know a joke band you know i right. think if they're not like, novelty if, songs totally right like if that i think that was the one thing we did think about at one point is this, god are people going to view this as a novelty band but like we get up and we we throw down you know what i mean our shows are really really intense musically and, uh, you know, within the context of three minute punk pop songs. And uh, I think I think that's the thing that comes through the most. Like if you're passionate about what you're doing, you know, that's really what everyone takes away from it. And, and a good time. You know, we want everyone to have fun. I'm, I'm, I'm personally I don't know about you guys, but I'm, t- I'm tired of rock music that is a no fun and B, I'm really tired of the idea of rock bands that look just like the audience. I don't want that. That's not the reason I got into this. You know, I got into it because all of my rock star gods from Mick Jagger all the way through Bon Scott and David Lee Roth and Iggy, they were, they're special. You know what I mean? They were, they were, you know, there's something more than human about them. You know, if I can, if I can get academic, almost like, uh, like Greek theater, you know, that's almost archetypal. And that's, that for me is something to shoot for is like, you know, people want to go out and they want to be entertained, show them something that they're, they're not going to get anywhere. Absolutely. Exactly. And I want to um, take a little break right now to play one of my favorite songs on Loads of Fun. It's Better Being Gay. Duh. We love the boys in the UFC. It's better being gay. Uncut Latinos in BBD. It's better being gay. Lights and wheel in a sailor suit. It's better. Dish. A drink, a dill, a charm, a star. It's better being gay. It's all good. 
While most of your lyrics have a queer angle to them, the band actually has a lot of crossover appeal. Was that something you'd always planned when you guys formed or was that something that maybe surprised even you? Yeah, like I was saying earlier, like that that was something that was that was a bonus element to this thing. Because like I said, when we first started, we thought this would be just a fun hobby to do on the weekends. And once we realized that there was something going on in the culture right now where it was the right time for this and that people were responding to it, that we were like, OK. And then, you know, then we were looking at each other and going, you know what, this is actually the best band I've ever been in. Because we've all always wanted to be in a band where people hear it and actually appreciate it. You know, every every musician has been in a band where you know what you're doing is good and you're passionate about it, but it doesn't necessarily connect. And like right from the start, there was a, a core of people who were getting what we were doing, you know, so that was really cool. I mean, like a perfect example is uh, the very first show that we played uh, was you know, the upstairs bar at uh, at the uh, Rainbow, you know what I mean, which is, you know, a, a hole. And we had this amazing time just playing our very first show. And there was a friend of uh, Mike's who was down there and he's visiting from the East Coast or something like that. And, you know, he's a real dude, dude, you know what I mean? And he had kind of been standing in the back of the show, like, because the sound wasn't that good up there. So I don't know how, how well articulated the lyrics were and how, how audible they all were. But like, he kind of like walked up to us and he's like scratching his chin a little bit. And this is like a buff guy, right? With like a little pork pie hat on his stuff. And he walks and he goes, oh. <laughs> yeah, and he walks and he goes uh, I got to ask you guys a question. He goes, you know, we, are you guys singing about faggot stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, yeah. And he's like, okay cool <laughs> you know, like, 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 just just checking you know and it was that kind of reaction straight up you know like not horrified by it but yeah this is pretty goddamn cool yeah well i mean we touched on this uh, a moment ago about the band's aesthetic um and for me like one of my favorite looks for Ja is when you wear the classic white sailor hat i mean it kind of reminds me of you know tom of finland i think he kind of um you know made that look iconic and you also have some really clever poster art. There's one that uh, parodies the movie Jaws, which is great. Uh, you know, and I have that actually signed by you and the van. Um, do, you so the, do you mean the poster of the gigantic penis that looks like a shark? <laughs> that is the one. <laughs> Coming to bite you. <laughs> uh, so who handles the, the marketing and does your artwork for the oh, band? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for that lovely compliment. And yeah, actually that, that kind of, uh, with the sailor hat and all that, that Tom of Finland kind of, um, uh, what is his name? Uh, Fassbender, uh, mm -hmm. kind of thing. That was, that was sort of intentional. If there was any one sort of plotted out thing for me, it was that, cause you know, other than, you know, my job is to look cute, but you know, other than that, you know, like having, having my shirt off and stuff like that, you know, like having the sailor hat was, was definitely key for me. You know what I mean? Like something, what's a, an image that's going to be instantly identifiable with the band. Yeah. Um, so that was that was core. Thank you for appreciating that. As far as the artwork goes, that's another place I think where we all uh, really intersect because everyone in the band is super creative. And again, it's like something where we brainstorm ideas and we come up with it together. I've had, um, you know, handful of artists that we like to work with, um, always looking for new people. Um, but as far as like concepts that we do from, you know, the songs up through the, uh, the web series that we're planning to do um, this coming spring, it's all just us sitting around saying, wouldn't it be funny if... You know, so it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like I, I think of it as a gift, you know, because it's it's rare that you you, you come together with a group of people where there's that kind of chemistry and um, ideas just flow freely. You know, I mean, it's 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 the dream scenario, right, for every creative person. Yeah, so it's kind of improvish, like yes and or what? Yeah, yeah okay. Like picking up something totally bananas and making it happen. There you know, is like, nothing like that flow. 
Right. You know, I mean, like we're, for we did a we kind of did a proof of concept of this web series we want to do, which is, again, kind of like the gay monkeys, you know, five idiots living in, a, <laughs> in, a, in an apartment in Van Nuys trying to be famous in a punk rock band with a song in every episode. But we dry, did a dry run of it with quarantine and it it uh, it literally just came out of a conversation. Of, wow, wouldn't it be funny if we did a little video with us like all in quarantine and what we're doing? And that spun out into a few episodes of this thing. And then we were like, OK, well, this is this is this is kind of cool. What, where can we take this next? So the next thing you know, we're generating scripts and kicking those around. And so it's, you know, like I said, all of it, I'm super grateful for, you know, it's the place I'd wanted to be a very long time with a band. And now we'll give a little equal time to the straights. This is Be My Ex, the hetero song by the Cox. I understand you actually got to work with punk legend Greg Hetson from yes. the Circle Jerks and Bad Religion on your debut album, Loads of Fun. Yes, also indeed. Shane Smith, Los Lobos, The Breeders. Yeah. That, How again, did you connect I, to them and get them involved? It was honestly, that was just, that was through a friend of a friend. Um, and I wasn't sure if they were going to be interested in it, but they were, they were down. So we worked on it. And I think, um, I, th I think the more they heard the music, the more they really got into it. At first, you know, they were, they, I think they had checked out some of our demos and they're like, yeah, cool, let's do this project. But as we got deeper into it and they heard some of the newer songs, especially like F8U, I think that was the one that really got to Hetson. Because <laughs> he was, like, <laughs> was like, wow, this is like punk rock. Um, and that was a really super experience because I did, um, did the mixes with them. And those are just two totally cool, chill, fun guys. And again, one of those things where you sit there and you're like, how did I luck into this? Here's here's two guys that I'm vibing with and we're all kind of on the same page about what we're doing here. And it was fun. 
You know, it's like, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. I mean, that, that was the thing we all kind of said to ourselves at the beginning in the band was like the instant this stops being joy to do out and Z, you know, forget it. So yeah, there was just another one of those experiences. I feel very, very fortunate. And I, I hope to uh, work with them again. I'm sure that you will. And you'll have a second album and a third and a fourth and who knows what, um, you know, I feel like it's going to keep going. Like you said, you're always finding different ways to market yourselves and to connect with fans through your show. Um, and you do connect with fans. I know I follow you on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so can you tell people where they can find you online and where they can listen to and download loads of fun? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, the socials, it's the same for all for Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I suppose we need to get on TikTok at some point, but it's the <laughs> It's the Cox Band, the Cox Band, and uh, you can check out loads of fun around on all the places where you steal music from uh, Spotify. <laughs> hey, I bought my coffee. Hey, thank you very much. All right, I appreciate that. So, I support uh, you know, the arts. Muchas gracias. So yeah, you know, Spotify and Apple and all of the other channels, and uh, of course on YouTube. That is so exciting. All right, this is the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. So of course, before we let you go. I have to ask, what is your rock and roll nightmare? Wow. Okay. Hmm. Well, all right. I'm going to tell you, I, this is, uh, I have, I've got three billion stories from being at concerts, but I'm going to share this one because it, it was actually, some people might have, would consider it a nightmare. Like it, in hindsight, it was one of the great experiences of my life, but it did terrify me at the moment. And I'm going to share it just with you. And I went to, at one point, a New Year's Eve show for uh, the reformed Leonard Skinnerd. Okay. And I was tripping my balls off. I was there with like some really good friends, but we were like, it was like the cow palace up, uh, up North or mid, where is, where is the cow palace? That's Sacramento. So like, mm-hmm. mid- yes, it is. But, like we were out of our minds on LSD and there was this dude standing next to us. He was like six, five, like a real, like Oki, like a dude, he was wearing no shirt, uh, uh, overalls and kind of just standing there drinking can after can of beer. He didn't, he wasn't like, you know, dark or a a violent or malevolent presence but he was just kind of standing there like a mountain drinking can after can of beer looking forward the whole time rocking out etc and at some point when uh, the band did simple man he finally just tapped me on the shoulder and i looked up and i was like "Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) and and this is while fully just like completely frying i look up and he turns then he looks at he goes you know something little brother you listen to the lyrics of this song closely enough you'll see the face of god And that, to me, was like the rock and roll overload moment of all time. That might have been. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Did you you see the face of God? Well, I was at a Skinnerd concert, of course. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I wish I could share like a, a, a real nightmare surrounding rock and roll. But honestly, all the best times in my life have been around rock and roll. I mean, like palladium shows and seeing the Ramones and and cramps and you know there's nothing better than music you know even even the worst rock show is 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 better than just about anything else I happen to agree with you um but one of the best rock shows you'll ever see is the Cox so look for them throughout the next year and thank you Jay for being here with us today yeah thank you darlings thank you so much for having me on I appreciate it and I can't uh you know wishing you wonderful things with your podcast for 2022 and beyond. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. 
This is an excerpt from Gory Days, the 1980s fiction edition. The story is Dead Over Heels, and it is by Mark Wheaton. The Roxies finish the song and the audience screams its approval, but the screams don't stop as the applause fades. The fight has grown. Silhouettes of flailing limbs and flying bodies are all that's visible. It reminds Karen of their early club dates at the mask when she'd watched shadowy slam dancers pogoing in the dark. Only these dancers didn't stop when the music did. Hey, everybody wants to have a good time, but some folks are getting knocked around back there, Lena barks into her mic. We have kids at this show. Can everybody give them some space? The fighting continues. More people scream, more shout warnings. An entire row of seats becomes unbolted from the ground. The melee washes toward the stage like an expanding wave as fans clamor toward the band, trying to get away from the violence. Stop the show, Lena yells, angry now. Can we get the lights up? The house lights come on. It's much worse than they thought. At least a hundred teenagers in bloody monster makeup are savaging the young concert goers like something out of Altamont. Karen steps back, almost careening into Holly, who comes out from around her drum kit to stare in horror. An attendant in a yellow poncho with half his face chewed away comes around the front of the bus. He opens his mouth wide before taking a huge bite out of Grover's exposed forearm, tearing in half a tattoo of a heart of a woman's unreadable name in the center. Grover yanks his arm back, his tendons stretching like rubber bands as the bone snaps. He can only stare in horror as his hand is torn away. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at rock and roll nightmares books. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me. And until next time.